0: Well, let's turn our attention attention to to this particular story now, looking at the uh, Department of Education's call, particularly uh, around youth employment and for young people to get involved and send in their submissions and applications as part of this employment program. So let me invite onto the show Elijah Mkhlanga, who is the spokesperson for the Department of Basic Education. Mr. Mkhlanga, good morning.
1: Kathy, good morning.
0: Crystal Duncan-Williams is the project lead at Youth Capital. Uh, Crystal, good morning to you as well. Good morning, Kathy. Sure. Elijah, let me begin with you. So there's been a lot of responses since you announced uh, this particular program. On our side, from last week, we've been hearing from young people that are effectively trying to <coughs> apply and saying that, you know, they, they, they're struggling, uh, particularly with some of the online platforms where uh, they have been uh, told to register on. And it's the um that they're struggling with accessing that site or, or that app.
1: Well, Kathy. yes, they've been struggling. Um, Some have been struggling, but others have been successful. In fact, uh, from our side, we have seen an overwhelming response. By Saturday afternoon, we had 2.7 million applications from almost half a million people. Um, Remember that we are looking for only 290,000 people to occupy those uh, opportunities that have been created. So with online bookings, When there's a huge uh, traffic to one platform that has been created, it usually causes delays uh, for some while others are going through successfully. But we have since extended the deadline to remedy that situation. Mm. Uh, It was supposed to be yesterday, and we have now extended until Sunday next week. I mean, this coming week on the 10th of October. So we are giving more people another opportunity to still apply, although we've since Uh, realize that it's oversubscribed, but we need to also give people an opportunity to apply and see who will be successful.
0: So you currently have 2.7 million applications for 287,000 posts. On the one hand, of course, it just speaks to the crisis of unemployment that this country is dealing with. On the other, it means that whatever processes you employ in filling these 287,000 vacancies is going to be re- need to be really thorough. H- how are you going to be selecting who gets a spot and who doesn't?
1: Well, in this case, we have said and emphasized and repeated that the system does not work on a first-come, first-first basis. Mm. Uh, it will look strictly at the qualifying criteria and uh, individuals will be selected on that basis. So it's an intelligent online system which checks people's credentials based on what, they system, what the system has required uh, of them to submit. So it will go through the, uh, the documents that people have, have uh, submitted and uh, a shortlist will be created. Uh, What is clear, though, is that there could be many more people that qualify, but because of the limitations of the vacancies that are available, not everyone will be able to make it. So we will then proceed on that basis. It's a difficult one. You do indicate as well that uh, with an opportunity like this one and the crisis of unemployment, it creates... um, A difficult situation because it's difficult to accommodate everyone, but we need to make sure that we open it up and give everyone an equal opportunity to apply.
0: Crystal, you know, as as devastating as these numbers are, particularly for those who are applying for these positions, it's certainly not surprising. This is what happens when you have the majority of your young people out of work. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we've had this crisis of youth unemployment for a long time and the numbers
2: have continued to increase because we haven't really changed our approach to finding solutions. if we look at the basic education employment initiative, um, you know, by government, this is a great effort by the government. But there are ways that it could be improved if government had consulted with young people themselves. So a lot of the time the solutions that we could forward for youth unemployment are top-down solutions, and they don't take into account the lived experiences of young people. I think the use of, it, I think the use of Nobby Azure the platform, is a great initiative by the government because you know that the cost of job seeking, you know, printing out CVs. Um, costs young people a lot. Um, But young people still have to get police clearance, which I understand for, you know, for this type of role, you have to have that to work with children. But I think there are ways that the government could work with uh, the steps to make that easier for young people. So, you know, the barriers that young people face and really understanding the environment, young people in rural areas, they're to be network coverage. So they haven't been able to get onto the platform because there's no cell phone reception where they are. Um, And so these kinds of things are things that we need to take on board um, I'm not saying we shouldn't move forward with an imperfect plan sometimes because you want to create these opportunities and I think it's wonderful. And young people sort have of gone through the program in phase one have learned a lot and gained a lot. Um, but there are ways we can make this program really work even better for young people and the communities that they're serving through working in these schools. Mm.
0: So, when you talk about the, the police clearance and needing that police clearance certificate, do you see that as being a, a, a hindrance to those who may want to apply?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, if you have to spend money to get to um, the police station, there's chances taxi fare involved, and and you get charged for that police clearance. Um, that's what uh, uh, we heard from young people that were following in um, when I was interviewed recently on an, uh, you know on another interview. So young people are saying that they are facing some barriers. Um, I understand that the platform is overwhelmed, and that that happened. with with you know. Um, these kind of platforms and lots of people are online, and, and so that's one thing, but there are oh, some young people in rural areas that are feeling like they don't have the same opportunities as those in the urban areas because they've got to travel us to mm. a police station and, you know, they've got to apply for, for police clearance. And so um, I think there are ways that this could be, be sorted out. I absolutely think police clearance is critical. They're going to be working with children who must have that in place. Um, but the cost of that and the burden of that shouldn't be falling to young people that are already unemployed and disadvantaged.
0: So then how should, how should it, how should it be, be managed, Crystal? What, what is the suggestion some from you?
2: Yeah, some of the suggestions I've heard is that, you know, to say to young people that um, that the department will cover the cost and the money will get taken out of their first paycheck. I think putting that forward seems like a reasonable, reasonable suggestion. Um also, you know, maybe getting um, police to come out to the schools or they want to hire young people and doing a whole batch of young people in one go in the community is another way, save young people for the transit cost of trying to get to a police station. So, you know, things like um, like this are, are maybe simple solutions that could be put forward. And yeah. um, these are all different government departments and so if they work together they can make it easier for, for young people. Um, and I get that millions of applications. I would say, you know, if young people are shortlisted, um, to then you know, require the police clearance for those who are shortlisted only, um, because some people might not be a good fit for this role, and no, they aren't going to be hired, and so you know, the effort of getting the police clearance for that person is is a wasted expense and mm. So, I think these are some of the ideas that I've I've heard, and I think are good ones.
0: Okay, Elijah.
2: Well, we we need it.
1: Unfortunately, it has become a necessity that we conduct a proper vetting system, or at least we need to be saying to be doing it, because if we don't do it, uh, these individuals are going to be working with children, and we'll come back here and say, why did we not do a basic check mm. to see if people do not have previous offenses that uh involving children? So we need to do something about it. In fact, even at phase level, for you to, to be a teacher, to work in school, to work with children, you need to have um, obtained a police clearance. So in this case, you're not saying Uh, Bring it now. We are saying that at least get enough of it, but still apply for it, so that by the time you start your work in school, the police will inform us as to whether you've been uh, cleared or not. It's important that we protect our children. There are just so many cases that involve uh, children where they have been abused or sexually assaulted. So we need to make sure that all the individuals that come to work with them uh, have been vetted. And it is important as well for the country to know and notice that as a system, as a sector, we take these matters very seriously. We don't just bring everyone and anyone who qualifies to be there. Yes, qualification is fine in terms of meeting the requirements, but you need to be also an upstanding individual in terms of how you conduct yourself, how you handle yourself and your respect for children, and that your primary responsibility is to protect them and care for them and make sure that they are fully supported in school.
0: So Elijah, you are saying that if people don't have that clearance certificate cur- currently, they can still apply, but they must submit an affidavit saying that they have put in an application for this clearance certificate.
1: Yeah, that's what we are saying, because we know it takes time to get a police clearance. That's mm-hmm. why the first two months of this program, we are not going straight to, to school. Yes, we're starting 1st of November, but for November and December, it's training. They will be going through training. They will not begin school until January. So we believe that that period between November and January when school was open, mm. open for 2022, mm. they would have gone through enough time for them to obtain those documents that the police need to assist us with. So they will not be in contact with any learner because they will be going through training, uh, which they need to, to go through uh, as part of understanding what work they need to do.
0: Somebody here on the WhatsApp line, it's a message from Anonymous, it's unsigned, says, so if they need 287000 why is the application process still open if already there are over 2.7 million applications? Isn't this a waste of time and money for the applicants and data is expensive?
1: Well, the balancing act is a very difficult question, um, but an easy one at the same time. Uh, Difficult because we could have closed yesterday, but a lot of people have been complaining, saying that the system is not assisting them, they are not able to apply. So we don't want anyone saying that they could have made it if the system remained open for a few more days. So to accommodate those people, we are saying, yes, the system will remain open, and then it will be a matter of uh, who qualifies and uh, the numbers that we get before... We, we move to the next person, that still qualified. So uh, we could easily close it and have an outcry, or we could just extend it and accommodate everyone and still go through a fair process. So it's a difficult one. Uh, we have limited spaces, but we have many more people who want to still you know submit the application, mm. which we believe it is a necessary thing. But also, it will help us, I mean, at the end of this process, We'll have a comprehensive database of people, young people who qualify, who are neither in a job opportunity or in education, and who are really desperate for, for, for work. And that information at the end of this recruitment process will help the government to understand and see who is where, wanting what. And that will then inform the next course of action that the entire government will need to take to try address the plight of the young people who are desperately looking for their first working opportunity.
0: Crystal, you've talked about the fact that there are different ways, again, in in, in approaches that that can be taken to make projects like this a lot more effective. And ultimately, we're still going to be left at the end of this process with at least 2.5 million people who are not successful. Um, and, you know, what What should we be thinking about to those 2.5 million people and, and how to create opportunities for them?
2: Absolutely, Cathy. And I think, you know, um, the problem is we've been talking about phase two for for this initiative for a while. And once again, like with last year, it all feels very rushed. And I just think, you know, there are ways we could have done it that might have made it easier on the young person. So, for example, if it was a first phase where all 2.7 million applied, which is, you know, the number's going to increase exponentially in the next week, I'm sure, still. So, um, and there was some kind of waiting process or quick online form that this person could just pull out on the app, a simple thing like that. And then you would first-round interviews, and, you know, half of this people probably in contact for whatever reason. Those young people wouldn't have to spend money on trying to get to a police station and get an affidavit. You know, even if they can't get to police care, that's save young people the effort um, of trying to even you know, travel to a space where they can find network coverage to be able to access the app. So, if we had a written process and we had no time between application and then the start date um, you was, know, we might be able to kind of um, get through these you know, the millions of young people a little bit easier, make it easier for them, make the process a little bit smoother, make the vetting process. Um, a little bit more transparent, and I think these are some things we, we could be doing. Um, and also, you know, the fact that the, the period now runs over the just school holidays again, that means that young people are getting paid to sit at home for a month, and they won't be learning anything in that time. Mm. You know, it could make more sense to have the young pe- people start in January, um, or even, you know, in April, so that they are there for the you know, for full school term um having young people passing the or exams. So and this is what we heard from we had a survey with young people who were part of it last time it was quite difficult for teachers to lend to them. Um, so I think all of these things are things we need to think about, you know, how do we you reach young people how where they are using these technology and use their I agree with Elijah that, you know, at least getting these information the information from all these millions of people onto the SAU is maybe um, platform means that the government can understand where young people are, what their qualifications are, who is sitting with the work. If we understand the demographic of all these young people instead of lumping them together, we can start with for tailor-made solutions. So I agree with that point. Um, but I think what we need to start looking at is understanding the entire journey of young people. You know, they're not just people that need a job. They're young people, they're young single mothers, um, they're young people who are facing immense trauma in their in the community, they're facing Mental health challenges, that are particularly made worse by COVID, and how do we, you know, have support systems in place for young people? How do we use things like the Youth Start maybe to provide support on massively young people mm. and help young people navigate this um, difficult journey of finding work? You know, young people are just applying and applying and applying for everything, and not everybody's suited for every role. That's why we're getting millions of applications for for so this and only some of them will be for the role. So, you know, how do the and of maybe helping young people navigate that journey and string together these short term opportunities so that they can actually result in a mix step, you know, a mixed learning opportunities, next learning opportunity um, and that that those little bits and pieces of work and education lead up to it. So some of the young people instead of this in the picture journey that we see of young people through these short term opportunities and short term courses. And at the end of the day they don't actually add up to mm. the.
0: Mm. All right, Crystal and Elijah, I'm going to ask you to both just pause it there for me. I'll take some calls on 011-714-2006 when we continue. It's now eleven thirty. Luyanda has your latest news headlines Luyanda, good morning.
3: hashtag sfm talking point.
0: We continue the conversation on the talking point. Uh, let me go to the phone lines. Colin, you're calling us from Cape Town. Hello, Colin.
4: Hi, Cathy. Good morning to yes. you and your guest. Cathy, I've got, uh, uh, I might have missed something, but I'm, I'm taking a chance for asking this question. Mm. Is that um, countrywide, open for countrywide? Yes. Or is it just in a certain province or something like that? And you know something, I heard them talk about shortlisting, listing. Um, Two hundred and eighty thousand now, I wonder um, if the, if the ones who are shortlisted and they are successful shouldn't they be notified before you can get the position now we want a police clearance instead of going and having a uh, getting a police clearance and you don't qualify, so in other words, they got two hundred and eighty thousand make it three hundred thousand then. They uh, screen the people after being successful, mm. then the police clearance come and if somebody fails, a couple of them fail at the shortlisted, then they still got another couple of thousand to notify and say, Look here, get your police clearance, you've got the job. Mm.
0: All you right, I mean? oh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. And I think that was also part of the suggestion that was that was being made by, by Crystal. But but Elijah's saying that they don't need the 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 clearance to register they can use a police affidavit because i'm getting a lot of messages uh, from people who are saying it takes really long uh, for this police clearance certificate to come through all right so that was uh, the suggestion from colin there fred in pulukwani good morning good morning how are you i'm well thank you fred I better than yesterday eh? <laughs> go for <laughs> it
3: <laughs> Look, man, I, I'll appreciate if really Elijah can uh, can help on this question. I don't know whether he's still on the line. Yes, still he's, still, no.
0: he's still on the line. He's still on okay. the line.
3: You know, Cathy, you raised a very good question, if not a very good statement, and I uh, couldn't hear the proper reasoning on the, on the question. The system is open, and the department is well aware that they want, as an example, I'm just creating my numbers. But uh, Elijah will be conversant with the numbers that are required. The system is open, they want 20,000 learners. And as a result, we are sitting at 200,000. The question is in terms of their qualification system, what is it that they are going to do? Or why should they open the system to an extent that they have more than what is required? Don't they think it is going to open? a sort of a dialogue system or a sort of dissatisfaction among uh, the parents and so forth. Secondly, um, can't they think that ever since the introduction or the implementation of this uh, electronic system that administers learners at schools, people are experiencing a very serious challenge because it so seems like it's a deterrent of people to be admitted or accepted by schools. If you can remember in the old, people were able to have, uh, you know, two two sessions. Uh, I remember the likes of Tim and and, and and other schools. They were having the sessions that start from seven uh, o'clock, if not 8 o'clock, up until two o'clock. There comes another session of uh, 11 o'clock up until 4 o'clock. Uh, that system, it was very good because people we able to be accommodated all in all. I know it was difficult in terms of uh, leading the department to appoint as many teachers as possible, but it was nullifying this thing of we having to run around with our own kids. Right now, think of a situation in a person is staying in Mandalorian and the person has to take a child to uh, take visa because nearby couldn't get the, the school. And this also uh, lead kids to be prone to some sort of crimes, because at the end of the day, as a parent, I'll have to look for a transport that will take my child from home to school. And along the way, there are a lot of things happening wherein I've been deprived, or my child has been deprived to get access to education system. In essence, the question of one saying, or the statement of one saying, you have got the rights to education, somehow the Department of Education is suppressing it. Because you're taking me, to have unnecessary, extraordinary uh, cost, wherein I'm supposed to take my child to a nearby school, but in essence, I'm taking my child to a far further school, because that's where the child happened to have an accommodation or uh, an acceptance. Okay. Uh, really, I-, I believe the department has to look this thing introspectively and come back to, uh, to party with people in a correct way. Correct
0: there. All right, Fred. Thanks for that call. Fred is out in Pulukwani. Elijah, I think you know a multiplicity of issues there, but you can go for it.
1: Uh, Kathy, I think you are talking about the school admission process. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that is a different issue to what we are discussing. I think if you are talking about housing, we know that there is a huge demand for for spaces in schools. Uh, if you're talking about the cities in Polukwane everywhere else, the the CBDs of every little town in the country is now currently experiencing a huge demand for space. So uh, you are seeing the introduction of online systems in the Northern Cape, for example, and in the Western Cape and other parts to try and manage the numbers. Because um, the demand is such that schools are not able to accommodate everyone. So, so that's what we are working on. Uh, I heard him talk about the, the rotation system, but I didn't quite get the point that I was trying to make in that regard. But the admission process is something else that we are dealing with uh, in the system uh, because in the past five, six years, we have seen a, a surge in the number of parents that are requesting to enroll their children in schools that are located in the urban center. But uh, we are working with uh, with parents and FTPs to, to try to address that matter because we have been the migration of people from rural areas to the urban center because of the economic circumstances that are forcing them to, to move from one place to another.
0: So, so, Elijah, w- when one looks at the unemployment numbers for uh, the second quarter of the year from Statistics South Africa, they actually show that part of what is contributing to, you know, the increase in, in, in unemployment, at least based at, at a very fine reading of those statistics, is that a lot of the contracts of those who are part of phase one of the teaching assistance actually then came to an end and of course these people are now finding themselves in the very same position where they are unemployed again is there is there a long-term way that the department is actually thinking about this program or are you just going to be working on con- continuously training young people um, and and by the looks of it not not really have, having a clear way of, of what happens? after, let's say, phase one or phase two as we're now entering into?
1: Well, there are two things, three things. The first one is that uh, they took the temporary um, opportunities that were given to people and included them in the employment statistics. Mm. And when that project ended, then it becomes an increase in unemployment. So I don't know what's in there. Uh, system or in their methodology qualified as employment because we clearly indicated in October last year that this was going to be a four month project which was going to be in the training young people to get skills and thereafter it was going to end. And um, the department uh, seeing that this initiative was uh, successful, we composed a proposal which was sent to Presidency as well as National Treasury for their consideration. So April, May, June, July, August, September waited until we got a letter now in September that it was going to be approved for phase two. Even now, we are saying that the five-month project starting in November until March. So the Department of Basic Education is one of many in government that have been given this initiative. We are talking about this one. In the basic education sector, because we believe in our view that is the most successful one, the most visible one, and the one with the most number of people, and uh, one that has been coordinated right across the basic education system. Uh, but we are not the only ones that are managing the presidential economic stimulus program uh, in government. We uh, are playing our part. We work with what we've been given. We're given $7 billion for phase phase, we've now been given about six billion something billion. Um, to to do phase two. So mm. we don't run this from a, a, a voted budget of basic education. No, we work based on the allocation that has been given to us uh, to accommodate a certain number of people for a short time, uh, focusing on a variety of things. Uh, we believe in the education system we need uh, these young people because uh, due to COVID-19, we have experienced challenges that we've never seen before that need additional personnel in schools for schools to uh, continue with the uh, the business of education, which is teaching and learning, but now happening under extraordinary circumstances. So we appreciate it, but the money is not um, unlimited. Mm. Uh, that's why when we were given the amount that we were given, uh, our calculations indicated that could only... Accommodated 287,000 people over a five-month period. We'll have to go ask again at the end of this one because we are implementing a presidential project funded through national treasure.
0: Uh, yeah, and Crystal, let me bring you in here because Elijah, as he reflects on what is happening in the education sector, we know that um, the Youth Employment Service is a broader national program that has involved include uh, other players, including the private sector. And the same issue that arises with the Education Department of this, you know, the four months that they run the program or rather the five months that they run the program is what has come up uh, from those that have been part of the initiative, in various sectors in the private sector, who are there only for you know a period of time, sometimes six months, if they're lucky, maybe even a year, but after that, it seems that they just really fall back at square one. Is there a different way that th- that this could be approached, really, or is it effectively saying this is the best that we can give you? And once we have given you these learnerships, then you have to try and figure out how best you're going to use it uh, to perhaps create opportunity.
2: I mean, this is the thing, Kathy, and this is what we say in our, our report on phase one. Uh, we've worked with organizations who are implementing partners for the, uh, the Yes for Youth um, initiative. So these organizations, Autos Cape and, and Youth at Work, have been placing teachers' assistants in schools for a number of years on a one-year program through the Learnership Initiative of Yes. Um, and I think what we learned from that is one year is a more meaningful experience in a few months, especially in those few months fall over the long the longest school holidays in the school year. Um, and, and, and another thing that we found there is, you know, with getting grades, if you find young people who are interested in education, who are well suited to working with young people, then it's much easier to find the next opportunity for that person that builds on the experience that they have from that opportunity. And I think this is the key, and it goes back to my previous point. Um, we keep putting out short-term opportunities, and I completely understand that com- government can't fund jobs for all 9 million young people who are not in education, employment, and training. That's impossible. But you know, if we're going to be spending $7 billion at a time on a program, then we really need to think about what is our return on investment. When you have those young people in a program, even if it's only for four months, what training can we give them that helps them understand how to build a and a career path to a mixed opportunity? What membership should they be getting from school and the teachers that they work with um, so that they know how to behave in the workplace? and you know, simple work is the sense of being on time, letting your boss know when you're running late, or we're not going to be able to come to your six that day, not being on your phone all day. Simple things like this, if you take for granted, if you've never been in a work environment and nobody in your household has ever been in a work environment, you don't know these things. And so these short-term opportunities and the young people with no experience are the perfect place to show young people these kinds of skills. And then through that um, training that they receive while they're on the program, you know, they should know how to translate that experience into that really unique um, the, the day, And I think this is where we're, we're falling short with these programs. And we should really be leveraging the experience of these other organizations like Autisec, Cape Youth at Work, and the others that are already on the YES program. Um, to say what are the opportunities that exist for young people after school programs, hugely needed, especially with COVID. We've seen a huge dropout rate. We know that keeping young children and, and, and um, young people that are in our school engaged with school um, is one way to prevent dropouts. So we have these issues that we need to address and we have young people that we can train to do it. So they link these things together um, and really make that investment by government count for more than just a few months of income for these young people.
0: All right, uh, Crystal Duncan Williams is the project lead at Youth Capital. Let's leave it there for this morning. Elijah, I don't know if you want to respond to that and uh, perhaps even take into account this message here from Muzi in KZN who says, It doesn't make sense that the DOE is hiring assistants but retrenching teachers in KZN. No, no, no. Uh, there, there's not a
1: transmit taking place. Uh, I think the NEC clarified that issue. That due to the budget cut, uh, the, the, the province might not be able to retain teachers. But we believe that that matter will be will be sorted out. And they must also remember that this one is a different initiative. This money comes from treasury for a specific youth employment initiative uh, that is addressing unemployment among young people. So, so we must not confuse the two. Yes, it involves the same sector. The allocations come from different places. In fact, with the addition of the young people as teacher in schools, uh, it adds more people in the sector than reducing them. So there is there's no contradiction there. Even now, anything in the only thing the province is just saying the implications of budget cuts. We believe that the government will resolve all these matters. It's just the department raising a real situation which might arise if nothing is done about it. But we believe that. Uh, the entire government understands the importance of teachers and having teachers in every classroom, to stand in front of teachers, teaching them, with the required amount of time, everything. So, um, we, we the, the, yeah, the situation will be resolved, and we believe that uh, we should just give uh, the the government a chance to to look at all the competing challenges that are there. Uh, that uh, needs to be
0: attended to. All right. Elijah, let's leave it there for today. Elijah Mplanga spokesperson for the Department of Basic Education. Yeah, there's there's so much to that conversation, right? And you heard him mentioning some of the numbers. The last uh, project, they were given 7 billion rand. So it's not a small investment. It's not an investment to be uh, really looked down on. But what can we do to uh, to ensure that it moves just beyond the four five months? And become actual meaningful work for these young people. I think that is is really where the next phase of the conversation needs to go to, because if they are needed to fill these spots now, uh, does it mean that these these vacancies or or the services that they that they're providing will not be needed beyond the pandemic? And if they are, does it mean that you know the We just have the Education Department continuing without these services that can, of course, uh, beef up their offering to uh, the children of, of this country. So uh, I think there's still a lot more to this conversation that can be had. All right, let's take a quick break and then I'm back with uh, the final conversation of this morning. We're going to be looking at a partnership between Wits University and Chris Honey in terms of bringing treatment uh, services, especially for burn victims, closer to the people.